Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yeah, this is exciting today because we're talking about joint pain causes and solutions. And if you're noticing this first part of the year, we're walking you through how the body works. And I'm, it, we're doing an anatomy class, a physiology class, everything. So you're going to find it exciting. Uh, now, also, too, if you're supporting us on Dr. B VIP, it's really appreciated. They um, demonetized and banned us um, for the last two years now. And also, if you're on the Dr. B VIP, you're going to get all of our PowerPoints and handouts and spread this information. Um, there is a tyranny going on, and this is the solution. And those that are with Extreme Health Academy, if you're not with it, Get on there, do the Dr. John Bergman, and you get two weeks for free. But you'll meet some people who have had a huge um, difference in their life, big challenges, and they've made it through. So let's look at the muscles. We're going to start into anatomy. Now, you have three different types of muscle. Skeletal muscle, and this is all the muscles that you have. But in some skeletal muscles, they're conscious control. Other muscles, they're not. So like you can tighten up your arm and leg muscles, but you can't tighten up the ones that are called postural muscles. Smooth muscles. Now this is in your intestinal tract. It's in your respiratory, the gastrointestinal tract. And this stuff is under automatic control. It closes and opens up blood vessels. I mean, it's amazing. And the cardiac muscle. Cardiac muscle is the most amazing thing ever because you've got a muscle that is constantly beating from about... I think it's 12 to 15 weeks in gestation, and it keeps going for the next 100 years. Incredible. Now, the, we've got the nervous system as well. So we're going to talk about joints, and we're going to talk about uh, shoulder, elbow, wrist. Um, we're also going to talk about hip, knee. But you've got to know that these joints are innervated. They have nerves that supply the joints and all the surrounding structures. Now, all the nerves that supply the shoulder, elbow, and wrist come out of the base of the neck, and that's called the brachial plexus. Um, now, these, the shoulder, we're going to start off with that one. You've got four muscles that hold this humerus, the arm bone, into this socket, and it has this, it looks almost like Tupperware. It's called a labrum, and it doesn't cover the whole head, like your hip joint covers the whole femur head. This one only covers a little bit, but these muscles um, guide it and glide it. Now, the shoulder is super, super mobile. You have 18 muscles that attach it to the shoulder girdle. So this baby is always riding up and down on the rib cage. Um, but you have one bony attachment, and that's the clavicle. Now, you're going to see the top one, the supraspinatus bone, is the most commonly injured. And that's because if the head is forward, and this means that you've had a whiplash trauma in the past, you're an office worker, you drive a truck for a living, you fly, anything that throws that head forward. Because we were blessed with a brilliant 12 to 15 pound head over an incredibly mobile neck. Now, this has kept us alive and running away from uh, danger and running towards a food source for a millennial. But it's not designed to sit in a chair and be thrown forward and backwards. So we see a huge amount of loss of curve in the neck. And, and this does, it causes forward head carriage, but it's going to choke off the blood supply and nerve supply, particularly when you're talking about the shoulder, to the supraspinatus. 
Now, the supraspinatus is so easy to check. It does the first 15 degrees range of motion. So if you put your elbow tight to your side and you put another hand on top to check the strength and move your elbow away from your body, the first 15 degrees, that's supraspinatus. After 15 degrees, the deltoid kicks in. So a lot of people say, oh, the doctor said it was totally torn. Okay, yeah, inflammation distorts an MRI. So if you do have strength, and when that elbow is right next to your body and trying to pull away, uh, it may be partially torn, but it's not fully torn. And muscles can regenerate. They do. They do it all the time. So um, the supraspinatus can be rehabbed, but you've got to change the position and motion of the neck. Now, when, I'm going to show a couple of case studies here because shoulder issues are merely the shoulder alarm. Generally, it's what's called impingement syndrome. And even when we look at Journal of Orthopedic Sports and Physiotherapy, and this is 1995, they say posture in patients with shoulder with overuse injuries in healthy individuals. Now, it's interesting. When you say overuse injuries, it's also called repetitive motion injuries. This is not something that exists. This is made up in the psychotic world of the drug dealers, okay? Because do you know anyone that does the same action, same activity, and doesn't have it? Yes, so it's not repetitive use or, or overuse injuries. You can use that, and people are able to do, use it, but if you do it with, you know, move your elbow or assemble a widget or play tennis or anything that you're doing repetitive, uh, if you do that with compromised blood supply and nerve supply, you're not going to have a good outcome. Now, postural muscles versus phasic muscles. The muscles that are on your back that support you to be upright are not under conscious control. They're called, uh, they're under proprioceptive control or your body's position in space. Now, knowing that that ear should be in line with your shoulder. For every one inch that heads forward, the pressure on the discs double. The problem with that is you're compromising not just the nerves that supply the shoulder and the wrist and the elbow. This is why carpal tunnel, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, and rotator cuff injuries are all called double crush injuries, where you pinch the nerve in the neck, and this leads to dysfunction of the extremity. So you've got to check it. I mean, even the Mayo Clinic... And, and I know everyone remembers the Mayo Clinic from Police Squad. Yeah, really funny movie. Okay, they talk about shoulder pain and impingement. And they say a, a forward hunched posture can cause these tendons to be impinged. Now, the crazy thing is that the data is out there that you have to fix the neck before you do anything to the shoulder. Why? Because otherwise you get a compromised blood supply and nerve supply to the area you're working on. And this is why it, it's interesting. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, and this goes way back to 2012, they said that a study shows 57% failure in rotator cuff repairs. And, it, and they also say that 20 to 90% of rotator cuff uh, repairs re-tear. Why do you think? Because they're not looking at restoring the normal function. Uh, it, it just seems basic common sense. If you know hunched posture and forward head carriage are really an adaptive from an old trauma, 
and it's compromising the nerve supply to the shoulder, elbow, and wrist. You cannot do a surgery to the shoulder, elbow, and wrist unless you fix the blood supply and nerve supply. And I know right now you're going, duh. Okay, I know, duh. Okay, so you have to restore the normal function. And then when you look at it, it's such a beautiful structure. You've got 18 muscles that are guiding, gliding the shoulder up and down the rib cage. It's amazing. And so what do you have to do with a shoulder? Um, you've got to look at the, the nerve supply, the blood supply, and everything else. Because let's face it, when you have a rotator problem, and just, let's just boil it down. You've got four muscles that are sucking this bone, the humerus, that arm bone, into this socket. If any of those muscles get weak, it doesn't fall out of the socket. It falls up because there's a massive deltoid on the top. And that's why you get this, it's called a superior dislocation or, or subluxation. So if you have a shoulder injury, you're probably going to be able to carry a great weight if your arm is straight down by your side. But when you bend that uh, or bend your shoulder out so your arm is going 90 degrees from it, you know, straight out like you're being nailed to a cross, okay, that, if that causes discomfort, typically it means that there's the socket called the labrum is distorted. So we have to correct that. And how do you correct it? You correct it by allowing that weight to pull down. You've got to restore the curve in your neck and then everything works. You're just going to balance it back and forth. Now, when we look at bursa or bursitis, have you ever heard of shoulder bursitis? Yes, you have. Okay, well, what, what's a bursa sac? Well, for one, you've got muscles that connect to tendons. It's the tendons that cross the joint. Now, these tendons can develop um, friction. And so what happens is there's a little sac it's called a bursa sac. It's filled with bursa fluid, which is a superfiltrate of blood. And now, so if you have no fluid in that joint because your head's forward and you're choking off the blood supply to that joint, then that tendon starts to rub together and develops a friction. And then this is called tendonitis or bursitis. Itis means inflammation. And now barbarians will suggest ice. Ice will feel better except heat will rush blood to the area, filling those bursa sacs up with fluid and getting the pressure off. I mean, it works fantastically well, fantastically well. But again, and this is what I'll show patients, I'll put a hot pack on their shoulder. You know, I'll say, move your shoulder in a way that it hurts. Great. I'll put a hot pack on it, talk to them for about another minute, then take the hot pack off and say, okay, now move your shoulder. And they say, oh my God, it feels better. Yeah, because we're forcing blood supply into that joint. When you put heat on an area, the blood is rushed. You get this massive vasodilating. So the brain is trying to equalize the temperature. So we're forcing fluid or blood to that area, and that's going to increase the metabolic response and build the synovial fluid. And I tell patients, it's just a temporary fix. It's not going to really fix it. And we're going to go over shoulder exercises where you put a weight. And I mean, you know, it's got to be a big enough weight to open up the joint. So 5 to 20 pounds. And I'm talking even a small 100-pound, 80-year-old gal will probably need 10 pounds of, of pressure to open up that joint. And then you just need to dangle it with your palms forward. But make sure when you're doing this that your chin is up. 
you've got to restore the nerve supply and blood supply to that area. Now, a lot of people will try and increase the range of motion without correcting the nerve supply to the shoulder and without correcting the, the curve in the neck. So that's foolishness. Okay, make sure that you restore the labrum or the socket first and then restore the nerve supply to the neck. Now the forearm, carpal tunnel syndrome, golfer's elbow, tennis elbow, all has to do with, with muscles. So if you put your arm straight in front of you with your thumb up in the air, okay, your palm is facing towards the midline of your body. Now those muscles that when you squeeze your hand together, they're called flexors. When you open your hand up, those are called extensors. Now here's the weird thing. It should be a five to four ratio, flexors versus extensors. That means that the muscles that close the hand are almost as strong as the muscles that open the hand, except we're not building a lot of stuff with our wrist anymore, and we're not making fishing nets or making stone tools. So generally, we're grabbing stuff more than we are moving our extensors. And this creates a muscle imbalance, and that's the source of carpal tunnel, golfer's elbow, and tennis elbow is a muscle imbalance of the flexors versus extensors. Now, a normal human forearm should be a 5 to 4 ratio, where the flexors are a little bit stronger than the extensors, but it should be about the same. Now, to get this corrected, and again, what do you got to do? You got to correct the neck first, because this is going to be forward head carriage. Carpal tunnel is a double crush injury beginning in the neck. So you've got to restore the nerve supply and blood supply to that area. Now, when you, you get a number 32 rubber band, I know it sounds crazy, but number 32 rubber band happens to be my favorite. You can also use a hair tie, one of those little scrunchy rubber hair ties. Those seem to be about the right size. And then you put your hand like it was a flower bud. So all the fingers are elongated. Um, they're straightened, but they're all the fingertips are touching. And then you make your hand into a claw. But just like you're going to scratch somebody, like if you're going to scratch a back or a leg, so the fingers are spread out, but you have this number 32 rubber band on the outside. And you do this repeatedly. You keep doing it till you get to fatigue. And I call it flower, flower bud to claw, flower blood to claw. And this will strengthen the extensor muscles only. And that's what you've got to do because it's a muscle imbalance. Now, a lot of times, carpal tunnel can be very, very uncomfortable. I mean, it'll wake people up at night. They, they won't be able to work during the day. And so, since it's mainly from a muscle imbalance, how do you make a muscle imbalance worse? If somebody out there is saying, yeah, you brace it, of course. If you brace a muscle imbalance, you're going to make it worse because you're going to atrophy both sides. So it doesn't help at all. And then if you move a joint less, it desiccates or dry up. So putting a brace on a wrist is not uh, biomechanically effective. But now what you can do, you get some electric tape, and electric tape is fantastic. You put your thumb and pinky together. So your hand is open, your thumb and pinky are touching, and that forms a tunnel. And then just put one band of electric tape right around the base of your thumb and the base of your pinky. So you still have full range of motion of your wrist, and you'll see our carpal tunnel videos, it's very, very easy to do. And you, you're only going to need this tape for maybe the first day, day and a half, while you strengthen your extensor muscles. And then also make sure you restore that curve in the neck. And this is going to be for 
golfer's elbow, which that rubber band exercise will fix um, as well. You, you've got to restore the nerve supply in the neck. You've got to, you know, and there's a number of different ways you can do it. One, if you uh, lay down on the ground like you were 12 years old and watch TV, so your elbows are on the ground and your chin is in your palm, you can also do that exercise sitting at a desk. And then we made a very, very simple thing. It's pipe insulation with a thing of webbing around it. And it goes around the base of your neck. You pull down about two pounds of pressure. And then you look up to the ceiling, then look straight ahead and release the pressure on it. So you're having a pivot point at the base of the neck and you're moving the neck. Both of those are excellent. But you really got to find a, a corrective chiropractor to do it because that forward head posture I'm telling you, it's everything when you're talking about that, those areas. So now that we got the shoulder, elbow, and wrist, let's move down the body. Let's look at the hip. And I'm going to show a number of different examples of hips. And you can look at our knee and foot health video. You can look at our pelvic health video. These all have a lot of detailed instruction on it. This talk is just going to be a rough overview of each joint and what to do. Well, the hip joint is generally not symmetrical. Maybe on Carl Lewis, maybe on some super athletes, it's, it's symmetrical, but most of the time it's not. And so what doctors do is they tend to look at a distorted hip and they see, wow, that doesn't look like the other one or that doesn't look normal. But they don't look at how long it's been hurting. Now figure it takes three to five years to see a minor bone change on an x-ray. If you're seeing a half-inch bone spur extending the socket, if you're seeing significant distortions of the femur head and that the femur is the leg bone, you can say, hey, look, this has been 20, 25 years of remodeling, but you've only hurt for three to four years. So what does that say? That says that either the blood supply or nerve supply to that joint are compromised. And sure enough, the nerves that supply the hip come out of the junction of the rib cage and low back. It's called the thoracolumbar junction. And if you compromise the blood supply or nerve supply to that joint, you compromise the function of that joint. And now since the hip is literally connected to the pelvis, let me tell you, if you've got altered hip movement, you've got altered pelvis movement. And this is going to be um, uh, like the, a trochanter support will stabilize the pelvis there's a number of different exercises to stabilize the pelvis. And I'm going to run through a couple of different case studies, like before and after were, I mean, people literally couldn't walk upstairs, and then later on they could, okay, um, and what poor hips look like and what good hips look like. And you're going to see there's very, very subtle differences in people that used to have a problem as opposed to people that now have a problem. Okay, or less of a problem. Now, stabilizing the pelvis is hugely important. You have to sit like a cowgirl, you know, backwards in the chair. But anytime you put your legs out wide, that approximates the pelvis and stabilizes the pelvis. And then the trochanter support, which is hugely important. Top of the belt goes one inch below the um one inch below the top of the uh, pelvis area, or the iliac crest is what it's called. Now, the distraction, or what you should do, 
if you stand on a small elevated surface, like, you know, just a, a four by four, and you need a great weight. So I'm talking 15, 20 pounds just dropped on the ankle, and you're just going to dangle it just like it was a, a clock, like a grandfather clock, where when you're dangling it, and I recommend wearing the trochanter support while you're doing this, um, the foot just dangles in the front, so the toe is level with the heel, and then the heel is level with the toe. So it's just like a pendulum. And this, do this at least five minutes, that's going to start to distract the joint and make a big difference. Now the knee joint, the knee joint, every joint in the body is two bones coming together, surrounded by a joint capsule filled with synovial fluid. Now the fluid gets into this one from appropriate biomechanics and also from the calf. Because if you have distorted foot mechanics, I mean, bunion formation, flattening of the foot, whatever, you're going to have less dorsiflexion, less movement of that foot. And that's going to mean the pump on the back of the leg. Everybody knows the Achilles tendon. The Achilles tendon is also called triceps serrae. Triceps, there's three muscles there. What are the three muscles that attach to the Achilles tendon? Well, you got the right and left gastrocnemius, but you've got this special muscle called the soleus. And the soleus is amazing. It has veins inside of it. So when you want blood flow flowing to the leg and then flowing back, you need to have a good soleus function. And so this is also innervated by all the nerves that come out of the low back. Um, L3 goes to the knee, but if you have an unstable pelvis or knee issues, that's always going to be a problem. So you've got to look at the knee and the foot um, function and biomechanics before you actually regenerate the knee. Now, of course, you've got to stabilize the pelvis, and there's a couple of ways to check. Um, one check that I recommend is called patellar tracking, because when you look at the patella, and this, this thing is um, super important, it's, it's a sesamoid bone, but it actually adds strength to the quadricep, and that's the thing that moves the lower leg. Well, you've got vastus medialis and vastus lateralis. You know, when they say quadricep, quad means four, that means there's four muscles. We're only going to check two of them because those are the patellar tracking and vastus lateralis and vastus medialis. And I'm going to show you tonight on how to check it, um, but you've got to check that before you start to do any rehab. And then just like rehab in the hip, you rehab the knee by putting a great weight on it. And again, it could be 15 10, 15, 20 pounds, but you want to open up that joint. Now, this is a ligamentous-based exercise, so it's not a muscle-strengthening exercise. This ligamentous base, you want to put that weight on there and just dangle it, and this is going to create a negative pressure, allowing synovial fluid to increase and literally helping that knee regenerate. It's a fantastic exercise, and trust me on this one. I mean, I, when it comes to knee issues... I broke my right one twice. Once I fell off a three-story building, shattered it on a sidewalk. And the other two knees, or, no, I don't have three knees, but I broke the right one again. Okay, when I was crossing a street and got hit by a car. So when it comes to knee injuries, I'm pretty darn familiar with how to rehab them. And I'm going to bring up a couple of uh, case studies. But when we're looking at this, look at certain things. Okay, now... Moist heat, 
penetrates. And heat on joints is probably the best thing you can do because when you're putting moist heat, which is better than dry heat, dry heat is more superficial and bounces off. The wetter, the better, the deeper the penetration. Moist heat can penetrate up to two inches. Um, and, and look at the difference between a jacuzzi and a hot pack. So you could put the whole body in a jacuzzi, and you'll heat up the calf, the knee, the elbow, the everything. And that's okay. That will, that will help. But if you put all this energy, like a hot pack, over the knee or a hot pack over the hip, all of that blood is going to isolate to that area that's affected and increase the blood flow. So the difference between a jacuzzi and a hot pack or an ice pack it is makes all the difference in the world. I prefer the hot pack or ice pack. And so this way you're putting it right over that area and it makes all the difference. Now, ice is only to be used for acute injuries. And I mean very, very acute. Um, it, like within the first 12 to 24 hours. I wouldn't use it beyond that unless you have a lot of pain. And then ice for pain relief is a great idea. Now, I did teach physiotherapy for a few years, and the electric stim, there's a TENS unit, um, there's also an interferential unit, there's a number of different electric modalities, and I wouldn't recommend those at all, ever, unless it's going to keep you away from the opioids and the drugs. So electric stim for pain relief, maybe, but that's rare. You're not going to need it that long. And uh, if you have long-term scar tissue, Ultrasound can actually help realign it, but I would not recommend ultrasound for most people, um, particularly kids, because it can close growth plates, but it does. It weakens the structures, but it can realign the fibers, so it is excellent for rehab. So the things not to do when it comes to shoulder and arm, Remember, no end range of motion. Like you're not putting your arm over your neck, over your head, <clears throat> because you want to restore that, that socket first. And you've got to address, for shoulder, elbow, and wrist, you've got to address the neck area. And for low back, hip, or for hip, knee, and foot, you've got to address the low back. So look at the blood supply and nerve supply. <clears throat> and no ice on chronic shoulder injuries or hip injuries or chronic knee injuries. Uh, if you've been hiking all day and your knee starts to swell up, um, ice will shrink swelling and feel good, but, man, that heat will rush blood to the area and help fill up those, those um, bursa sacs with bursa fluid, decreasing the problem. Moist heat will increase the metabolic response and literally help your body heal. And it, I know this has been a whirlwind tour of all the joints in the body, but just think about it. Every joint in the body is two bones coming together surrounded by a joint capsule. Every joint in the body has blood supply or nerve supply. And this is every finger joint, every elbow joint, every wrist joint, every joint in the body. And I know there's a couple of people right now thinking joint. Yeah, it's legal in California. No, I'm talking about human joints. Not the joints full with cannabis, okay? That's recreational and therapeutic. I'm talking about the human joints, okay? So just settle down. So when you're looking at this, proper nerve supply, you need that, okay? And this has to do with proprioception and biomechanics. You need to get regular exercise. 
because this will move those joints. Proper nutrition, sufficient rest, and prayer and meditation. But when you find a corrective chiropractor, you've got to make sure that they're paying attention to the pelvis, they're paying attention to the hips, the biomechanics of the knees, the biomechanics of the feet, because if the feet, knees, and pelvis are off, and every time that person walks, that that pelvis is destabilized, the pelvis houses half of the autonomic nervous system. And I'm talking the resting, digesting, repairing. So if you have somebody with bunion formation, you've got to get that person over to someone that can correct the bunions and restore the normal gait. Otherwise, their body isn't going to function well. <clears throat> if somebody has forward head posture, but their shoulders are fine now, okay, wait till they start to have shoulder problems and then fix the neck. No, that would be dumb. Okay, look at your body's body posture. Posture is the window to how your physiology is. So if you do have forward head posture, if your shoulders are internally rotated, if you have bunion formation on the feet, these are red flashing lights telling you that you've got to fix something. Okay, so find a corrective chiropractor and you will get better. Now the second half, the censored half, we're not going to get into, but the title of it is The Death of Science and the Religion of the Science. You're going to know how to actually identify what is real science and what is propaganda. Take care of yourself. Your joints are designed to last your entire life. And the entire life is supposed to be 120 years. So you need three things, physical stress, chemical stress, and emotional stress. If you address all three of those, then your joints can regenerate. And if anyone shot them with cortisone, tell them to never do it again. But we'll get you healthy. This is Dr. John Bergman, your health advocate. God bless you, and I love you.